want you to go with me to Philippians 1. Philippians 1. During our last couple of studies, we've seen Paul's ability to remain joyful in the midst of problems like being imprisoned. And if that wasn't bad enough, he had people, difficult people, seeking to do him harm. Difficult is a kind of one of those things where you say, to say the least, difficult people trying to do him harm. There were those who were outside the church trying to harm him. But it didn't stop there. There were actually, we saw this last week, there were actually those from inside the church who were trying to do him harm. Today I'd like to look at Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to go with me to verse 19, where we're going to see another reason for Paul's joy, even in the midst of difficulty. Pastor, why are you still talking about joy? (laughs) Why are you still reminding us that it's possible to have joy in the midst of difficulty? You really need to ask? (laughs) Yes, we we know difficulty, don't we? We know challenges. We know hardships. Do we know joy? Do you know that you can have joy? You can have true joy in the midst of those difficulties and hardships. You can be singing with the Lord as you As you go on your way through the hardships, trusting him, that was Paul. That was his life. And we're looking at the example that Paul gives us. In fact, God gives us this example of Paul's life. Paul didn't write this so that that we would look to him and say, oh, what a great example Paul is. But God moved Paul to write these things so that we would have Paul's example. And it's a wonderful and challenging example. Paul was confident and assured that his difficult circumstances would result in his deliverance. And before we go too far, do not think that he meant that it, he was he was going to have all of his problems turned upside down and everything was going to be rosy and everything was going to be fine from here on out. But he, he was confident that he would be delivered no matter what happened. Now, we need to understand Paul's definition of deliverance and God's definition of deliverance because it's the right one and we need to know it and be confident in it. How could Paul have such confident assurance that he would be delivered? I want you to see that Paul's confidence was found in the prayer of others for him. This is where we're going this morning. Paul's confidence was found in the fact that he knew others were praying for him, and he knew the Holy Spirit was working in him. Now, nearing the end of verse 18, Paul has pointed out that there were those from within the church who were using the gospel, incredibly enough, they were actually using the gospel for their own selfish reasons. He says, he didn't say, we noted this last week, that they weren't proclaiming the truth. He didn't say they were being heretical about their teaching, but he said they were using the gospel. They were not proclaiming it for good reasons. They were proclaiming it for selfish reasons. And one of those reasons was so that they could deliver more harm to Paul. Whether they were jealous of him or what, we don't know. He doesn't go into a lot of details, but we know enough to know that they were intentionally using the gospel to do him more harm. And so there were these people from within the church seeking to harm Paul. But the main point of what he is saying leading up to the end of verse 18, which is actually where we're going to start this morning, we're going to back up into verse 18 a few words. And the main point leading up to the end of verse 18 is that more than being discouraged by those who are trying to do him harm, he's encouraged. He is actually rejoicing in those who are serving with him and alongside him in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to look with me at the end of verse 18. 
And then we'll read into verse 19 where Paul says, at the end of verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. Because he's rejoicing in the fact that there are those who are serving alongside him and preaching the gospel for pure motives. And he says, and yes, I will rejoice. For I know, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So how can believers today know true joy? As Paul did in the midst of great difficulty. And boy, did he know difficulty. He knew hardships. One of the keys, as we learn from Paul here, is in where we place our confidence. If you want to know true joy, you've got to put your confidence in the right place. Looking at Paul's example, he was convinced and he was confident that his deliverance would take place. He was confident that the situation that he was in would turn out well, in in other words, would turn out for God's glory and his good one way or the other. And as we can see in the verses ahead, Paul knew that whether he was cleared of the charges that were before him or whether he was set free, and he, I mean, he, he might actually be cleared and set free or he might face execution. And in, in the face of that, he's saying, no matter what comes, I'm going to be delivered. Now that sounds like crazy talk, doesn't it? What do you, what, what, what do you mean, Paul? You, you, you could face freedom or you could face face that you would have your your life taken from you you could be executed and you're saying that you're confident that you're going to be delivered that doesn't make any sense it does if you have Paul's perspective it does if you have Paul's confidence and it does if you have your confidence placed where Paul's confidence is placed Paul knew that Christ would be magnified no matter what Paul knew that God would be glorified come what may he wanted to live or die for Christ. And he figured, live for Christ, die for Christ. That's in God's hands. Whichever one, I'm going to be delivered. For to me to live, verse 21, we're going to see this soon. Well, let me just give you a hint. 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, you understand what I mean? you got to have Paul's perspective on what deliverance is. It wasn't like he was, you know, whistling in the rain, so to speak, saying, well, you know, it's going to be sunny soon. And I won't be facing death. I won't be facing execution. These chains will be gone and I'll be free. He knew that he might not be free, but he knew he would be delivered. He knew that God would deliver him one way or the other. We also have the words which he penned to the Romans recorded in Romans 8.28. You know that passage? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Those were no empty words that Paul wrote. They were true words that he believed, that he lived by and practiced in his own life. Let me remind you of what he wrote when he says in Romans 8, 28, and we know, here's this confidence. That's not a small word. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. So Paul knew, Paul was confident that God was working in his situation to accomplish God's good purpose. Whatever God wanted was what Paul wanted. Can you say that about your life? Whatever I want is what, you know, I want what God wants. Whatever God wants is what I want. I want my life to glorify God. Is he going to keep me from all hardship? Probably not. 
Is he going to give me more than I could possibly ever use? Probably not. Is he going to be there to help me through what comes? Absolutely. Is he going to be there to, to orchestrate the events of my life to bring glory to him and good to me in the end? Absolutely. So Paul knew and Paul was confident that God was working in his situation to accomplish God's good purpose, and he understood that his circumstances were temporary. You realize that? You know, we often forget that. I, I do anyway. I forget. This is temporary. <laughs> tomorrow this will change. Maybe not tomorrow. It will change soon. Often our circumstances are very temporary. Paul knew that that was true in his circumstance. He knew it was temporary. It was a temporary situation, circumstance. It was a difficult one. But he knew that whether in life or in death, he would be delivered. And that God's hand would be there at work. So Paul could say with confidence here in verse 19, for I know. Can you say that? Is that that the heart cry of your life? When you look to God's word and you look to the Lord in the midst of your hardship, can you say, I know. I know what God has done and I know what God will do and I know he'll be there with me. That was Paul. You want true joy? You need to have that same perspective. You need to put your confidence in the same place. Paul was placing his confidence. He knew whether in life or in death he would be delivered, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, says Paul in verse 19. But how does this work? Paul, can you, can you help us? How does this work? Let's note together the first reason that Paul could be so confident. I see two reasons here. So this is going to be two points, right? Here's the first one, first point. Mark it down. Note it. Remember it. Don't forget it. Here it is. Paul was assured because he was he was going to, he was assured that he was going to be delivered because of the prayers of others for him. He was assured of deliverance through prayer. You could say it simply like that. Paul was assured of deliverance through prayer. Paul was confident of deliverance through prayer, and he he knew that the Philippian believers were praying for him, praying for him, praying on his behalf, praying about his needs. He knew that they were praying for him and that God answers prayer. That's a key. That They weren't just praying for him. That was an encouragement. But coupled with the fact that he knows God answers prayer. God answers the, the prayers of his faithful saints. And he knew they were faithful saints. And here are the faithful saints praying for him. And he says, God's going to do something. And so I'm confident of that. He was assured of deliverance through prayer. The prayer of the saints on his behalf. Here's a lesson for us. There should never be an underestimation on our part of the importance of the effectiveness of our prayers on behalf of the needs of others. When we share prayer requests, when you share prayer requests with us, and when we share prayer requests with one another, and we gather here on Wednesdays specifically for this purpose, we come together 7 o'clock Wednesday night for the purpose of praying for the needs that we have, the needs that we know about. You want us to pray with you? You tell us. Help us. You can tell us. You can write it down on the yellow piece of paper in your program. Put it in the bullet in the uh, in the offering plate, or give it to me. Tell us. We want to pray for you. And here's how it works: we we share those requests with one another. And yes, we pray on Wednesday nights. But yes, we go all also back to our homes. We pray throughout the week, lifting up the needs of one another before the Lord. But we could easily underestimate the importance and effectiveness of our prayers 
on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for those in ministry and by saying, well, you know, prayer's not that important. I've got other things to do. I've got other things to get done. I could do things instead of just wasting my time praying. Don't ever think that prayer is a waste of time. You see, that's where we fail sometimes. We think, boy, I've really got so much to do. I don't have time to pray. I'm so thankful for those godly saints who have gone before us who said, I've got so much to do, I can't afford not to spend a couple of hours praying first. That's convicting. We often, speaking of myself, (laughs) I'm included in this, we often would rather get busy doing something, right? We need to pray. Don't ever underestimate the importance and effectiveness of your prayers on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ for their real needs, physical, spiritual, so forth. We need to pray for one another, and there is power in prayer. This is what Paul knew. This is where his confidence was placed. It was in the Lord, and he knew that God answers the faithful prayers of his faithful people. C.S. Lewis wrote, wrote about this, saying, God could have chosen to do his work on this earth in any fashion he wanted, but he chose in his sovereignty to do it in response to prayer. C.S. Lewis knew the importance of prayer. Do you know the importance of prayer? See, God was at work in Paul's life in response to the prayers of the Philippian believers, and Paul was confident in this, even as he served the Lord, even in the midst of troubles, because he knew God answers prayer. He knew God listens and answers to the prayers of his people. What a great encouragement the prayers of others were to Paul. But more than that, Paul understood the importance of the relationship between God's work in his life and and the prayers of others on his behalf. He knew there was an important relationship here. People were praying for him, and God was working. God was working, and people were praying. The two go hand in hand. God chooses to answer our prayers. He doesn't have to do it that way, but he chooses to do it that way. And he gives us this wonderful gift of prayer. And we shortchange ourselves, we cripple ourselves, so to speak, when we don't use this wonderful privilege of prayer to honor God with the humbleness of our lives and say, God, here, here's my life. Here's the situation of, of those around me, and I, I give them to you. I want your will to be done. I want you to be glorified in the answers. And so, come what may, help us to honor you. However you answer these prayers, you see, God calls believers to pray. He calls them to trust him as they pray, and he promises to answer their prayers. He promises to answer your prayers. And we ought to learn this, too, if we're going to be a spiritually growing and thriving church. As Psalm fifty fifteen reminds us, God says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Think of that. God says, you call on me in your day of trouble, I will answer. I'll deliver you, and your life, you will glorify me. We have to want that. We have to long for lives that bring glory to God, that point to him and his goodness. That's our promise keeping God speaking there. But you know what? Satan would like to whisper in your ear that God doesn't really care. Satan would like to have us think that we're all alone in this world and that there's no reason for confidence. A fellow by the name of Samuel Chadwick once wrote, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. 
prayerless work and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. You want to bring glory to God? You want to make Satan tremble? Get on your knees before God in prayer. Trust him. Pray about your concerns, yes. Pray about the concerns of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Bring them before the Lord and trust him with them. Prayer is a vital part in the life of every believer. And we ought to face each and every day as Christians engaged in prayer for that day. That God would be glorified in that, in that day, in how we live through that day, and how we respond to the situations we fa- face in that day. And even better is to have the prayer support of one another. To go into our days knowing that my brothers and sisters in Christ are praying for me and have your brothers and sisters in Christ knowing you're praying for them. So we should pray for our own concerns, absolutely, but also for the concerns of others. That's what's happening here. Paul is pointing back to the prayers of the Philippian believers for him. and He says, I've got confidence that God is going to answer their prayers. You know, as believers, we each have the incredible opportunity to be involved in upholding others in prayer. Do you do that? I can think of no higher privilege in supporting the ministry of Higgins Lake Baptist Church and helping one another than that of prayer. There are a lot of other things we can do, and there are a lot of other good things that we can do, but we ought not do them to the neglect of prayer. You realize that? Yet we often, again, we say, I'd rather go do something because I fall asleep when I pray. You might want to try getting on your knees. You may not fall asleep on your knees. That might be painful. I understand. I remember reading about a former president of Cedarville, Cedarville University. used to be Cedarville College. They were, when they first started, were a Bible college. My father graduated from Bible college there long before I was on planet Earth. And in the years after he was there, they had a couple of different presidents. One president came and, and was there for many, many years and left. And the president came to Cedarville College to take his place, came into the president's office, and noticed that there were two holes in the carpet. And he walked back out to the secretary. He says, "What's you know? I'm sorry, but you know why the holes in the carpet? Can't we get those? Can we get the carpet fixed? Is there? I mean, is there a problem? We can't get the carpet fixed." She said, "Well, we didn't replace it. That was where the former president prayed every day." For years, he knelt in prayer in the same spot, so much so he wore holes in the carpet. He says, I remember reading this, he says, never mind, leave the holes. I need that reminder to pray. You need reminders to pray. I need reminders to pray. You might need a special place to pray. You might need a special time when you're not distracted. You might need to get rid of your electronic gadgets and unplug some electronic things that might distract you, right? pray. Join us for prayer. We pray every Wednesday night. We come together to pray and lift up requests that are on our hearts for people's physical needs, spiritual needs, real life concerns. We bring those before the Lord, but we don't only pray for them here. We take them with us. So pray for one another. Pastor and author Burke Parsons writes of this tendency to to kind of get things backwards and you know we want to do something before we pray. He says, We too often say, all we can do now is pray. You ever hear yourself do that? I've I've heard myself do that before. I've caught myself say, oop, you know, we it's not all we can do. 
It is the most important thing we can do. Burke Parsons writes, we often say, all we can do now is pray. He says, prayer shouldn't be our last resort, but where we cast our first anchor. Our trouble when lacking confidence, I think, remember, we're talking about Paul's confidence. Where was his confidence? It was in the Lord. It was attached to the prayers of the people on his behalf, prayed to a prayer-answering God. Our trouble, I think, when we lack confidence in the Lord is not God's fault. I know that's not the case. It's not God's fault. It's our own fault. And this is often the problem. We often lack a faithfulness in prayer. And the reason we lack confidence is because we don't trust God in prayer as we should. We don't make prayer a first priority. We make it our last hope. It's all I can do now. And so now I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to call my friends to pray because I've tried everything else. Let that be a challenge to us, yes? It's a challenge to me. I hope it's a challenge to you. It's often the last thing we do. Prayer, it should be the first thing we do. That's where Paul found confidence. That's where Paul found joy because he knew faithful believers were praying for him. Do you think he was praying for them? You better bet he was praying for them. You think that that might have given them confidence? Absolutely. Let's never forget what we learned when we studied James 5.16, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Here's how I, here's, here's the Kevin Pierpont translation. The prayer of, a, of an obedient believer, obedient to God, the prayer of an obedient believer has great power as God answers. Your, your prayer doesn't do it, right? God does it. But God looks at your obedience and he hears your prayer and he says, I'm going to answer that prayer. And God is glorified in that. Paul knew this to be true. He knew that the prayers of the Philippian believers on his behalf were effective, not because they had great power themselves, but because God has great power and God answers the prayers of his faithful people. And he knew that deliverance would come from God in answer to their prayers. And he understood that deliverance meant maybe not freedom. It might meant that he would be killed, right? That he might fall to the hands of those who would say, we're going to take his life because we don't like what he is saying. And, we, and we're going to say he's violated our laws and we're going to kill him and take his life. And yet he knew that through that, in death, remember verse 21, gain. He says, that's gain for me. Do you have that kind of perspective? No matter what happens, if it, if it comes out bad in worldly terms, that's gain for me. Because God is good and God will deliver. Because God answers prayers. That same confidence, that same joy that Paul had will be ours too if we will commit ourselves to prayer as individual believers. If we'll commit ourselves to prayer as families. We ought to pray together as families. You ever do that with your spouse or with your children, with, with your parents? A time, Just a time of prayer together. To pray about the concerns of your own family. To pray about the concerns of people in your church fellowship who have serious needs. That same confidence and joy that Paul had will be ours when we pray, when we trust God as individuals, as families, and as a church. That same joy and confidence will be ours as a church when we're a praying church. So we ought to heed the words of Colossians 4.2 and devote ourselves to prayer. That means 
Make it a priority. And if you're a person who schedules things, schedule it for Pete's sakes, okay? Put it on your schedule. Put it on your calendar. So it's the, the, the next thing you have to do, right? I find that helpful sometimes to have things scheduled, and I find it annoying sometimes to have things scheduled. Don't get me wrong. Prayer shouldn't be only on your schedule. It ought to be spontaneous too, right? But if you find that you don't have time for prayer, then you need to make time for prayer. You need to put it in your schedule so that it starts becoming natural. It becomes the, the thing you can't wait to do, and you move it earlier and earlier into day because you, you, you want to do that. You want to trust God with today. You want to lift your needs and the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ before him today. You can't wait to talk to your prayer answering God because he is powerful and he answers the prayers of his faithful people. I'm always greatly encouraged when on Wednesdays we gather in the evenings to gather and pray together. What a privilege that is. What a privilege it is to pray for and with one another. I encourage you to join us for that time. I also challenge you to pray. Don't wait for Wednesdays. And if you cannot be here, we understand that. But don't fail to pray. What a privilege it is to pray for one another, to pray with one another. You want to have an impact for the cause of Christ? You want your life to be Christ-centered? That's what God wants your life to be. He wants, he wants it to be Christ-centered for God's glory, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that in your living, the Lord Jesus Christ would be made much of so that others see Christ clearly and know that there is salvation from sins through faith in Christ. You want your life to be Christ-centered? Do you want to know true joy? Then commit yourself to prayer. And not just for yourself, but pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. Pray for your leaders in this church. And as you pray, trust God because He is in control and He will provide perfect answers with perfect timing. God's answers are always just what we need, whether we realize it at the time or not. And it would be an encouragement. May I just add this here? It would be a great encouragement. If you're praying for each other, go out of your way to let them know. How's, I'm praying for you. I know you have this need. How is it going? Be sure and tell me when this prayer is answered. I'm praying for you. How about I pray with you right now? That would be a great encouragement. I know, I know that there are those in our fellowship who have needs even now. And I would encourage you and challenge you as, you as you come and go to our services, look around and see who's not here. See see who's not here and call them, visit them, pray for them, pray with them. I think of um, Rick and Ruth and Jim. You said to us this morning, Rick and Ruth, they're kind of discouraged right now. Both of them have been facing some hardship physically. You guys were camping for a few weeks, but then a couple of really urgent things even in the midst of that. And it's a reminder to us that here are hurting people, and they're not alone. They're not the only ones who need our encouragement, who need calls and visits, and, and we ought to care for people enough to say, where, where are they, and find out. And, 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 and I'm very encouraged by this too. We're not totally missing the boat here. I've had a lot of people ask me about people that they don't see. But you don't need to ask me. You can call them too, Okay. You can say, hey, we've missed you. How are you? Can I pray for you? Can I come and visit you? We need to do that. We need to pray with one another. Let that be an encouragement or challenge to you. If you're praying, don't just keep it to yourself. Not just between you and God. Encourage them by saying, we're praying for you. 
I'm praying for you. I'm praying for that request. I'm praying for that need in your life. Now let's note something else. Paul was confident of his deliverance that God would answer the prayers of others on his behalf to deliver him from these hardships, whether by life or by death. But he was also confident because of something else. Here's point number two. He knew he had the help of the Holy Spirit. Confident through prayer, the prayers of others on his behalf. He knows God answers their prayers. And he knew he had the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it here? Paul knew that his deliverance from these severe trials would come because he knew he was confident in this fact. He had the help of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19 again. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now, but we will come back to this at length tonight because this is important. And I would encourage you, if you've ever wondered about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, come back tonight, okay? We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But here's here's just a glimpse. Paul knew he had the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, for I know, there's his confidence again, right? I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, so your prayers, and then he says, and and the, the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. This will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knew he had the help of the Holy Spirit. He knew he had God dwelling in him, God the Spirit dwelling in him. And he knew that the, the Holy Spirit wasn't idle, just kind of hanging out with Paul. No, we know this from God's word, and and Paul knew this truth, that he who is in you, right, is what? Greater than he who is in the world. You think Satan's powerful? He is nothing. He's nothing to be trifled with, but he's nothing in comparison to God. And he who is in you, that's God's Holy Spirit in the believer is greater than he who is in the world. Paul knew this. He knew he had the help of he who is in him, greater than the one who is in the world. It was Jesus speaking in John chapter 14. It's what Jesus spoke of when he told his disciples in John 14, verses 16 and 17, that he would give them another helper. Paul knew this truth. He was confident in this truth. Listen to these Verses from John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit, to be with you forever. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in you and will be with you, will be in you. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul knew He had the Holy Spirit of God living in him. That was his confidence, and that led to his joy. Paul knew that whether he was set free or whether he had to face execution, that deliverance would be his because the Holy Spirit was in him and would be there providing for his every need so that he could glorify Christ in life or in death. 
come what may, he wanted his life to bring glory to God, and he knew the Holy Spirit would help him in that endeavor. Oswald Chambers illustrated the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life when he wrote this, call the comforter, another name for the Holy Spirit from the scriptures, call the comforter by the term you think best, advocate, helper, paraclete. The word conveys the indefinable blessedness of his sympathy, an inward invisible kingdom that causes the saint to sing through every night of sorrow. That's not that you'll sing and ignore your sorrows, right? but you'll sing through them with your confidence in the right place, knowing that the Holy Spirit is in you to help you. That was the work of the power of the Holy Spirit working in Paul's life that enabled him to maintain his joy in the midst of his difficulties. I was thinking about something Millie Angus said in our prayer meeting Wednesday night. We often take time to share praises because that's a really important thing to do as you pray too. Praise God for his goodness, right? and his many blessings and his answers to prayer. So we start with praises. And Millie Angus reminded us, told us this about her mother. She would often tell her friends and neighbors, and one of her neighbors after her passing said that this was a powerful testimony to her, a powerful witness. Millie Angus said about her mother many years ago would say, in the midst of a hardship or difficulty, she'd say, I don't like this, but that's okay. (laughs) How could you say that, right? If you don't have your trust in Jesus Christ, you can't say that. If you don't have your confidence placed in the right place, if your confidence isn't in the fact that you know you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is working in you, that's why Millie Angus' mother was able to say that. I don't like this, but that's okay. Because she knew she had the Holy Spirit's help. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit's help. And what a powerful testimony that will be to others. That was the work and power of the Holy Spirit working in Paul's life that enabled him to maintain his joy in the midst of difficulty. Now I want you to consider this, the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who is living in Paul, working in his life, helping him, giving him the same confidence to face his severe difficulties and still maintain his joy. That's the same Holy Spirit working in you. If you're God's child today, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have the same power. I have the same power. Is that not incredible? We can praise God for that. And we can have great confidence to face every day, no matter what comes. And have joy. Because we know we have the power of God at work in us. We have the same Holy Spirit indwelling you. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the same Spirit that Paul did. God's Spirit. Whatever difficulties you face, whatever hardship you encounter, you can be assured that the Holy Spirit is with you to comfort you, to guide you, just as he was with Paul. You might look at Philippians and look at the other accounts of Paul's life and say, what an incredible man. I hope you don't do that. I hope you look at the scriptures and say, what an incredible God working through this man, through this weak and feeble human being like us. He was like us, but God was working in him and through him, and that's where he found his confidence, and that's where he found his joy. In other words, you are not alone. You might look around and think, I am all alone in this. There is no one standing with you. How wrong you are. 
If you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need anybody else. Now, don't hear me wrong. God has brought us together as a church, and yes, we need one another. But if everyone turns their back on you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have all you need. You are not short. You are not handicapped. You are not ill-equipped if you have the Holy Spirit of God at work in you. You have the gracious provision of the God who answers prayers, the prayers of his righteous people. You have the God who graciously has given you his presence to live in you and to work with you and through you. You have the Holy Spirit in your life to help you in your trials as a follower of Christ. And you have the answers to others' prayers on your behalf because God answers those prayers. And you have the working of the Holy Spirit to give you, to help you sing through the night, to have joy even in the midst of those hardships. Paul was trusting in Jesus Christ. He was living an obedient life. He wasn't quenching the Holy Spirit with his disobedience, and the Holy Spirit was working in his life. God is faithful. God is faithful to work, and Paul was confident of his deliverance through prayer and the constant daily provision of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, Paul knew true joy. We need that, don't we? We need the same confidence that Paul had. With that joy, Paul wasn't concerned about his future. He had confidence about where he would be, come what may. Whatever the result was, the results of prayer, the faithful prayers of God's people, and the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul was confident he was confident that that prayer offered up for him, God would answer. And whatever the answer was, was going to be right, it was going to be just what he needed. He would put him right where he needed to be. And it will lead to our joy when we know that same confidence. Oh, how we need the confidence Paul had. We need the joy that Paul had. Paul's confidence will be our confidence with prayer and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and it will lead to our joy. Joy for us as individual believers, joy for our families as we serve the Lord together and practice this obedience together, and joy for the family of God, his church, this church. We'll know joy together as we take great hope in the fact that God answers the prayers of his faithful people. And God has put his Holy Spirit, he himself, in his people to work in them and help them and provide for them just what they need. Praise God. Let's pray. And yes, God, we praise you. Our precious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the most incredible provision of all. Forgiveness of sins because Jesus Christ took the punishment we deserve. We praise you, God, that you've wiped the slate clean and you've said that we've, you've, we've been justified. It's just as if we've never sinned because Jesus Christ took our sins on himself at the cross, and we rejoice in that, that freedom that's ours from sin. And as we sang earlier today, through faith in Christ, our chains fall off. We are liberated from sin's grasp, and we are united with Christ. 
And we have been given brothers and sisters in Christ who will pray with us and for us and for whom we can pray. And we know that, that you are a God who hears the prayers of your obedient children and answers those prayers. So God, first of all, help us to be those obedient children who honor you with our lives. And then help us to be prayerful, trusting you with every concern, with every request. And then God, help us to be faithful to trust you, that you answer those prayers. And we'll rejoice also in the fact that we have the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit, God, working in us, living in us, helping us, giving us just what we need. We have your help and we praise you for that. We are not alone. And so I pray, God, lift us, encourage us, help us to be obedient to you this week, help us to honor you with our lives, help us to pray for one another. And help us to find great confidence in this wisdom that we know that others are praying for our needs and you answer prayers and you have given us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us every day. And may we bring you great glory in this church and in our families and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.